pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we all come here today and we've had different weeks, different experiences. And, uh, some will come in here happy and some come heavy and sad. But God, we all come needy for you. So we look to you. We pray as we continue to worship by looking at your word. God, I pray that our hearts would be in awe of who you are and your grace and your mercy in all of your majesty and your strength. God, I pray we would actually hear the good news of Jesus today. God, I pray for all of us that you would help all of us to listen and listen in a way that actually hits our hearts and lives. God, give us ears to hear in a way that pleases you. God, I ask for me, would you help me to teach? I pray that you would help me to teach in a way that would be clear and accurate. God, I'm praying you'd use my weak and frail words to do what only the Spirit can do, and that's move our hearts. God, we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Well, everyone, um, we are continuing in the book of Titus. Um, Titus chapter 2 is where we're going to be. This is our 11th sermon in this series. Um, And Paul's been focused on a whole lot of things that's supposed to be happening. He's, He's left Titus on the island of Crete to really put things in order. Titus is, or Paul has started several churches on this island in the v- villages that are running around. And what he's, what he's done, said, Titus, I need you to stay there in Crete, put things in order, get it all set up. Now listen, I, I was not expecting Titus to be as, as controversial as it's been. Um, I'm shocked at all the the difficult passages in Titus. I shouldn't be shocked. Like, I know the book of Titus, but for some reason when I planned on doing the book of Titus, I was not expecting some of the landmines that I was going to be walking into. I was not um, expecting to have to deal with election and having to deal with alcohol and plurality of elders and church leadership. I wasn't expecting to deal with roles, men and women, and every single one of those things have been in the book of Titus. Uh, it has been a fun little stress-filled study uh, in a New Testament book, at least stress-filled for me. Y'all are just having the time of your life out there making fun of me every week as I have to deal with this. Well, this week, again, (laughs) I believe this is the last week that Titus has a minefield for us. But who knows? I mean, I've read ahead. I don't really apparently see them until the week I have to preach it. And then I'm like, oh, no. Um, But this week is definitely one of those. And I I think we're ending the difficulty of Titus with a bang. Um, The the issue that Titus is now talking about is, is the issue of slavery. Um, let me tell you why this is a difficult passage. I'm just jumping right in in case you didn't notice. Um, uh, one of the reasons why this is a difficult passage is because of past abuse in the church. I'm just going to be really frank about that with us today, uh, especially the church in the U.S. But, but the church in the U.S. in the past has used passages like this to justify things like slavery. We've, they've mishandled passage of scripture um, And they've used it in a way that basically twisted the scriptures to teach that that slaves and specifically they've taught that black people were less than human. Uh, That's not in our too distant past in a country. Like from the 1600s to the late 1800s and even part of the 1900s, this was actually taught. I mean, the United States of America didn't even really count black people full people. They were counting them three-fifths of a person as part of the founding of the nation. And passages like this were used and abused to teach things like that. And that's not the teaching. It was used to oppress and demean and abuse fellow image bearers of God. It's not just past abuses, it's past failures of the church. 
So it's not just that people use the Bible to justify sin. People actually use the Bible or fail to actually obey what the Bible says about loving our neighbors. So look, there's some people in the church that stood up strongly. People like William Wilberforce, or I don't know if y'all know some of these names I'm about to share with you. William Wilberforce or Frederick Douglass or Francis Grimke. Like these, these men took the word and they stood strongly for what the word said about righteousness and justice and love and dignity and image bearers of people. But for the most part, the church failed to do justice and love black people in the U.S. Y'all are, I don't know if y'all are tired, even tired of this conversation, but it's the next passage and we got to wade into this. Like it, the church held on to segregation. The reason we have several entire denominations is because the white church refused to let black people be equally contributing members of the church. That's why we have denominations like the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME Church, or the Church of God in Christ, because the black people wanted to be a part of the church and the white people said no. And you can be here, but you can't sit next to us. You definitely can't get up and preach. You need to sit up in the balcony somewhere. Don't sit down next to the white people and don't be loud. The church also didn't stand up against things like Jim Crow laws and other injustices in the deep South. So listen, I'm there's issues with this passage, not because of the passage, but because of us, because of our history, because of our twisting of scripture and abuse, because of our past failures. And additionally, this is also a tricky passage because of the current state of affairs in our country. Um, in addition to all this stuff, we're currently still dealing with consequences and broken relationships and honestly, a fractured country as a result of some of the failures as a nation. Um, none of that should be new to y'all. Is that new information? Okay, good. You, you may disagree with it. I, I don't know how you could disagree with that, uh, but that's the reality. So as we wade into the past we're looking at today, all of that is in the back of my mind. Okay, so I'm going to be addressing some of those issues as we get into this. So hopefully uh, that's helpful for you. And, and the reality is this is part of the accusation of why people don't believe or reject the gospel. So we've got to talk about that. So Titus chapter two, verses nine and 10. Here's our verses for this morning. You ready? Uh, it says this, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. All right, so listen, I did, I'm reading that right now. And with the background I just mentioned, do you see why this is a difficult passage? Okay, good. I hope you're sweating as much as I am this morning. I'm just kidding. I don't want you to sweat. I'm, I'm not going to try to make you sweat today. I will do all the sweating enough for all of us. I'll let my Arabic jeans come out. And part of that's part of the reason I'm wearing a jacket. You thought I was a guest speaker. You're not used to seeing me with the jacket. I'm wearing a jacket because I'm sweating today. That's the game plan. Uh, let me address a few background questions I feel like we have to answer before we jump into this. The first background question, what was ancient slavery actually like? Uh, I mean, when Paul's talking to slaves, we're talking about slaves in ancient Roman civilization. What was that actually like? Well, listen, it varies in different cultures. Slavery in Greek, Roman, in Greek life and slavery in Roman life and slavery in Jewish life are all very different. 
but they're also very similar. Here's how people became slaves. Either you were a prisoner of war, your country was conquered by another country, and the prisoners of war who survived were taken back and, and sold as slaves, or you had to pay off debt. So you got so much in debt, you couldn't work your way out of it, so you had to sell yourself uh, into slavery, or as a criminal, you committed some crimes, and sometimes that would turn you in, into a slave. Uh, in the ancient world, a slave could purchase their freedom, Sometimes their masters would give them freedom, especially sometimes when they die, they would, they would release many of their slaves and give them citizenship and freedom. Slavery was very common in the ancient world. In Rome, it's estimated there was possibly 40 to 50% of the entire population of Rome was made up of people who were, current, who were, who were slaves at any given time. And th their jobs could be anything from a butler to a, a farmer to a doctor. Like it, it was, there was a wide variety of um, jobs that they did, but there was also a lot of injustice in it. Uh, I, I don't want that to sound pleasant, what I just described, because in Roman law, slaves had no right. They had zero rights. They had no legal standing. There was no defense that they could have legally for being mistreated. Um, they, they were still considered fully human. They just didn't have rights which is very different, I think, um, than what we see uh, in, early, in early time here in the United States of America. The Roman was cruel and it was immoral. And as a result, the Roman institution of slavery could also be very cruel and very immoral. It, it was an awful thing. You just need to hear that. It could be good, but it was mainly a very awful thing to be a slave in the ancient world. Um, some of the things that I read were really rough. Now, let me tell, say why ancient slavery was a little bit different than Western slavery. Let me give a few, there's a lot of differences, but I want to highlight the prominent differences. Okay, first of all, humanity was not denied in the ancient world if you were a slave. But in the 16th, 17th, 1800s, humanity was actually denied and questioned in slavery. Right? It, it was, you were less than human is what was being taught about slavery here in the United States. That was different than the ancient world. It was not based on race in the ancient world. If you went to a market in the ancient world, you would not know who was free and who was a slave. That's not true in the United States. In the United States, because it was based on race and skin color, you knew who were slaves and who weren't just by a quick look at everyone. The other thing is this, in the ancient world, freedom and citizenship were possible. So if you were a slave and you were giving your freedom or you were a slave and you bought your freedom and you became a, a citizen, immediately there was no, you were a less than citizen. You could step into citizenship immediately, fully, without anyone questioning anything about you. The fact that you were a previous slave didn't make you a less than citizen. But in the United States, that was not the case. It, that was not the case here. You did not get to step into freedom and citizenship right out of slavery. Uh, there were lots of things to resist that. So, so that's how slavery was different. Um, so now I've got to ask the question, so what does the Bible say about slavery? Like Paul is giving instructions to slaves who are a part of the church. I'm asking the question, well, what does the Bible say about it? And why didn't Paul say you shouldn't do this? Is anyone else wondering that question? Okay, I'm wondering the question, so that's what I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to myself up here if none of y'all are wondering that question. That's the question I feel like I, I need to answer. Why didn't Paul just say, as far as slaves, this is ridiculous, you shouldn't be a slave? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he say, masters, let all the slaves go? 
Like what he says that people are equal. Why didn't Paul and the New Testament speak up and stop this? Well, here's the, the, a few points. And I don't know if my answers to this question fully do it justice, but I'm gonna try to highlight to you some of the things that I'm seeing in the Bible. And listen, biblical scholars have wrestled with this for a long, long time. Okay, so I'm letting you into a, a conversation that has thousands of pages that have been written. So here's the first thing I want to say. Do not confuse tolerance with approval. Do not confuse tolerance of slavery with approval of slavery. Slavery was deeply entrenched, an entire system in the ancient world. And the New Testament writers seem to have accepted that slavery existed, but they did not endorse it as a good thing. It was just the reality of the world that they lived in. They were saying, this exists. You know what else existed in the ancient world? Abortion. Abortion, also what existed in the ancient world, was exposing children. You didn't want a child, you just set them outside and walked away. Like that, that all existed in the ancient world. That was all awful and atrocious. You don't see the Bible saying, don't expose kids. That's not what it did. Even though they would have stood against these things, the Bible doesn't explicitly condemn every awful action. It tolerates some things that exist without giving the approval of it. Does that make sense? Okay, I, I think, I think I'm, I'm assuming that we're mature enough to handle that type of discussion. Doesn't, doesn't make it easy. It's just saying, I don't want us to confuse tolerance with approval. The second thing is, don't confuse who we are as modern Christians with the role of Christianity in the ancient world. Let me remind you who Christians were. They were a small, insignificant cult that had no power and influence that were persecuted themselves. The idea of the ancient Christian world of them saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rally together and create a lobby group that's going to go and set up laws and influence Roman government. That was totally foreign to the ancient Christian world. They were trying not to be killed. That they were trying to be able to be free to worship in their own towns and see individual men and women's lives change. They were not, it was not even on their radar to change laws. It was on their radar to see people saved and changed by the gospel. Here's the other thing that I would say. While that's not in their mind, one of the things you do see them doing, although they don't explicitly condemn uh, slavery, the teachings of the New Testament are actually aimed at the foundation of slavery to destroy it at the very base level of it. it. Paul's teaching was intended to go after slavery at the foundation, not as a revolution, but at literally at the, the, out, the outlook of people and the heart level of people. Let me give you some of those teachings there. The book of Philemon, if you turn your Bibles to Philemon chapter one, let me give you a quick um, background of this as you're flipping over there. The book of Philemon is written to a guy in Colossae. His name is Philemon. Uh, he's a rich guy. And what Paul is ha what's happened to Paul is Paul's in prison and he bumps into this guy named Onesimus, who he knew from when he was at Philemon's house because Onesimus was one of Philemon's slaves. And Onesimus ran away. Paul meets him. Onesimus gets saved. And listen to this. Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, his previous slave owner. He sends him back. And I want you to see what Paul says to Philemon. Verses it's only one chapter, so verse 15, 16, and 17 is what we'll be looking at. It says this. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant. I want you to see what Paul is doing here. No longer as a bondservant, more than that, as a beloved brother. 
I want you to see what Paul just did here. Listen, I'm sending him back and I'm sending him back, not as your servant, as your brother. Listen, that's that right there. When you refer to someone as your brother, that will attack the idea of slavery, especially to me. Like he's, listen, he's, he's a brother to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and look at verse 17. So if you consider me, your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Here's what Paul is saying. He's your brother. He's not just a slave anymore. He's your brother. And I want you to treat him the way you would treat me. Think that gets after slavery in a certain way. Like the, the implication that Paul is doing is like, I'm not going to, he says, finally, I'm not going to force you to do this, but I'm going to lay a foundation that that's your, that's your brother. That's your brother you're dealing with. And I want you to treat him the same exact way that you treat me, the apostle Paul. Listen, that, that'll do something. That'll do something to slavery in the church. That idea where Paul said, I need you to get this. You're all brothers and sisters. You're all equals. Here's what else you see in the New Testament teaching. It, it's, this is kind of an argument from silence, but there's nowhere in the Bible where Paul limits anything that slaves can participate in the church. They can do everything in the church, baptism, communion, fellowship. They're welcome at every meal together, equally at the table. They can hold every role in the ancient world in the church. They can be deacons. They can be pastors. Paul never says anywhere in the Bible that slaves can't hold any of those roles. That's unique in Roman civilization. Now you could have a slave who's the pastor of a church that's filled with fellow slaves and fellow free men. That's significant in the church. Here's what else you see, that everyone has identical status in the church. Galatians chapter three, verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See that? There is no slave or free. When you come into the church, and the gospel takes root, there's equality for all in this body. We don't divide you up into slave and free. We don't divide you up by race. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Here's what else Paul did. Ephesians chapter six, verse nine. He tells masters they're gonna answer for God for how they treat their fellow brothers. Ephesians chapter six, verse nine says, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There is no partiality with him. Let me, let me just say it this way. Um, he's basically saying, listen, that's your brother. We're all equals. And not only know, but know this, you're going to answer to God for the way you treat your brother. Just flat out said, you will answer to God for the way you treat your brother. And here's what this tells me. The Bible does not support or approve of slavery, especially not the slavery that was in the West in the 1600s to the 1900s. It does not support segregation or Jim Crow laws. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors as our fellow image bearers and treat them with dignity, worth, and valuable. It's not debatable. And I don't think that any of you would hold a different view here. Okay, that's not why I'm going through all of that. I'm going through all that because I need you to see that when Paul's talking about slaves and to slavery, he's doing it not in a way that approves slavery. He's doing it in a way that tolerates the current cultural climate, but is undermining it by his teaching. Now, now here's why that matters, okay? And I'm gonna get to this in a second. Um, that's a whole lot of history and a whole lot of background and a whole lot of theology. And I don't know how your brains are doing right now, but let me jump into the point here. I'm going to, I'm going to give two points of application for the passage we're looking at today. One, and I think this is an easy application. Let me just start there. It's, it's how we work as employees. Cause you should be asking, Fies, 
like we're not slaves. I don't really care what his instructions were to, to masters and to slaves. But, but I do think this, in one sense, these servants, he was also talking to employees in a way. And I need you to think about this because this matters. It matters how employees who are followers of Christ interact in their workplace. Uh, I've had unsaved friends who literally would not come to church because of the way their boss, who was a deacon, had treated them. Like, not at this church, okay? So I'm not, deacons, I'm not, I'm not yelling at you yet. I don't know if any of your employees that won't come here because of the way you treat them. Uh, I've had people who don't want to be at church because of their fellow workers who claim Jesus were total turds and the worst human beings ever. They were lazy whining workers and they wouldn't, didn't, they didn't want to come to church because their fellow workers were the worst and they claimed Jesus. It matters how you do your job if you're going to claim the name of Christ. And that's what Paul, that's one of the things that Paul is saying here. Look at what he says in verse nine. Let me, let me walk through what he's saying to employees. Let's start with employees and I'll go to a deeper one later. It says, you're to be submissive to your own masters. Let's just say boss. Listen, you, you need to be an employee that literally just does what your boss asks you to do. Uh, is that that difficult? Uh, I'm not saying that you do unethical things your boss asks you to do. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying here is, listen, if you're going to work, when you work, you make sure that you're an awesome employee that does what your boss asks. You should try to be, verse 9, he says it this way, said, well-pleasing, there to be well-pleasing. In other words, you're to just do, do the job your boss asks you to do and work really hard to make them happy. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Here's, here's how you're working. If you're an employee, you're working like Jesus is your boss. And you want your boss here on earth to meet your real boss, Jesus. So you work in a way that Jesus will be happy with, which your boss should be happy with. That's what he's saying. You work hard. You show up on time. You do your job. You're dependable. You do with excellence and a good and cheerful attitude. That's what Paul is telling these people to do as employees. And I would say the same thing to us as church people. You should be an employee if you're a follower of Jesus, that literally you do your job and you make your boss happy. They can trust you. You do it with excellence. It's not sloppy. It's not lazy. It's on time and you're dependable. It also says this, not argumentative. Look at verse nine there. He says, I don't want you to be argumentative. Uh, he also says not pilfering. In other words, you're not stealing. You're not embezzling. You're not arguing just to be difficult. You're not skimming off the top. You're not, you're a trustworthy employee. And you're also an employee that doesn't just fight to fight. You're not difficult. Listen, Paul has, it's really simple and this isn't rocket science. And I don't know why I would even need to go on this for too long, except for the fact I've seen this done in the church in a really bad way. I've seen church bosses hire church, fellow church members as employees and those employees have been bad and lazy and they feel like they can fight and argue. That's not a good thing, church. Let's not be those people. If you claim Jesus, you need to be a good employee at your job. We need to train our sons and daughters to be good employees who do what their boss asks with excellence. They're not stealing and they're not arguing about everything. I don't, I don't, again, I don't think that's rocket science. And I don't want to stand that for too long, except for I would say this. Look what he says there in verse 10. Why does this matter? So that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I would just say it this way. The way you work your job matters in the kingdom. The, the way you act as an employee, the way you act as, an, as a boss, all of those things matter for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The way you do your job is always saying something about Jesus and his gospel. 
So my question for you today is this, as employees, what, are you, what have you been saying about Jesus and his gospel by the way you worked this last week? For bosses, what have you been saying about Jesus and his gospel by the way you led your employees the last couple of weeks? You're saying something about Jesus and his gospel. But listen, I, I don't want to spend any more time there. I just want you to think about it with your work. It's this moment right here that I'm wrestling with. It, I don't feel a lot of conviction about how to work. That doesn't stand out to me. Here's what stands out to me. Paul is in church with oppressed men and women who are slaves. They're, they're in an oppressive system and they can't get out of it. Not in a reasonable way. They, they can't just say, I'm done with this. I don't want to be a slave anymore. They, they need money or they need resources. They need someone to let them go or someone to buy them back. And he looks at these people who are caught in an oppressive system and he gives instructions about how to bear up underneath that oppression. I kept thinking through the best way to illustrate this. And, and here's the idea that came to my mind. I, I need you to think about it in this way. Um, I've had the privilege of visiting some really crazy countries in the Middle East. Um, and one of those countries, the ladies wear these things called burkas. Do y'all know what a burqa is? Okay, if you don't, I should have brought one. Um, it's a blue thing that kind of covers a lady from the top of her head all the way down. It's got a little screen. Don't think this, you need to think this. Like she's got a screen that she wears and it, she's literally, literally covered from head to toe. And it's not tight, it's, not, it's loose and it's flowing and it is really a a very intense system of oppression that exists in a lot of countries. I'm sure you've seen the pictures. All right, so just say that we're in Pakistan and we're in Pakistan and, and you show up in Pakistan and you're with me. We go, we decide for some reason, not, we're doing a church mission trip to Pakistan, okay? All Muslim country. All the ladies there are wearing burqas. All right, y'all got that picture? And we start a church in Pakistan. All right, you got... And you show up and you gather, not in a building like this, but you're gathering in someone's house. Listen, you could get, the door could get kicked in. You could get killed at any moment, but you're gathered to worship Jesus and hear his word. And, and all of a sudden now we've got these men and these women who are sitting side by side as equals. And they've never done that in their culture ever in their life. Now, listen, let me, let me ask you a question. How should we feel about burqas? Are they acceptable? Is it just? Is it right? No, this is it's completely wrong and completely unacceptable. So how are we going to wait in as a church in that conversation to these ladies? Do we go and say, ladies, see what you need to do. Throw off the burqas, your equals, go out in the streets and do whatever you want. What happens if we teach that? I'll tell you what happens if we teach that. Massacre happens if we teach that. Needless suffering happens if we teach that. Do you know what we teach? We say, ladies, I'm not going to tell you this is right. You're trapped in an oppressive system. If we can get you out, we're going to get you out. But listen, you got to go back home to that unsaved Muslim husband. I need you to walk very carefully with wisdom. You're going to, you're going to endure more oppression that's not right and just. And I'm not telling you to tolerate everything. I'm not telling you to tolerate abuse. But I'm telling you, listen, for the sake of the gospel, you you may need to wear that burqa a little bit longer until God can change the hearts of the men and women of this city. Listen, for the sake of your family, you might need to experience some things that are kind of hard. But listen, I want you to be a wife that's, that's kind and sweet and gentle and loving 
even in oppression for the sake of the gospel. I want you to adorn the gospel. You realize how intense that is? Like, does the weight of this passage, I, I know I haven't done it justice up to this point, but I want the weight of this passage to kind of sit onto us. Because here's what I want us to, here's what I want us to hear. I don't want us to hear that oppression is okay. I don't want us to tell victims of abuse, just to ex experience abuse. No, if there's abuse, you get out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's people who are caught in oppressive systems and they can't just call the cops and get out. And the gospel is so strong. It's so powerful. God is so glorious and worthy that he would call us to live a life to teach people who are wrapped up in oppressive systems and they can't get out. He would say, listen, I want you to live in a way that adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, that's, that's heavy. When I look at that, I see Jesus giving instructions to the church on how to endure oppression. I see him giving instructions to the church on how to deal with injustice that you can't get out of. I'm not talking about the injustice we see in the United States that we can stop. I'm talking about places around the world that you can't, you just can't stop it. Right, church, the gospel's worthy of living in a way that you can adorn. And, and these ways that we just, we miss the point of these passages. Yeah, you, you got to work at your job in a way that adorns the gospel. But we have to deal with suffering and injustice and oppression in a way that adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the call of this passage. That's been the call of the entire thing in Titus chapter two. Live in a way that adorns the gospel, that shows how beautiful and good the gospel is. Listen, I, here's what I'm gonna say. How we deal with injustice and oppression is also a gospel issue. But I have another question. Because that's all good in theory for us as we sit thousands of miles away from people who are suffering in that. He, here's my question for us. Is God calling any of us to go to those places? Is God calling any of us to go to the places where there's oppression and injustice and be a gospel light? He, he may be calling some of you to places where oppression is a normal thing. It's wrapped up in the system and we need people to go to those places just like Titus, just like Paul and preach the gospel and plant churches and see that take root and change lives to end oppress, oppressive systems and oppressive governments, give people freedom to hear the gospel and be exposed to the gospel. Like we've got to go to places that are hard and difficult to people who are suffering and oppressed because the gospel is worthy. Listen, Churchill, isn't that what we're supposed to be about? We need to send people, tons of people, over and over and over again to really hard places. We need the gospel to take root in really hard places. Because I will say this, our military is not going to fix oppression around the world. It won't. I'm telling you, Afghanistan has no less oppression for women because we were there. It's still oppressive. There's still the Taliban. You know what has to take root in these areas for the oppression to end? The gospel. Jesus has to get and he has to change lives. And we need to see the gospel take root so that people can be freed. So my question is, who's he calling? Who in this room is he calling to go to places that need to not just see and hear the gospel, they need the gospel to take root to end brutality and savage oppression? Who's he calling in this room? Is he calling parents? 
Is he calling kids? Is he calling college age? I, I don't know, but I want every man, woman, and child in this room to constantly wrestle with the question, God, are you calling me to go overseas to hard places? Maybe he's calling you to go overseas to easy places like Crete. I don't care, but all these places need the gospel. And I believe we're not intended to be a church that just fills up and fills up. I think we're supposed to be a church that sends out people over and over and over again. Maybe he's not calling you to go. Maybe he's calling you to send. Well, listen, church, then we've got to be a church that's ready to send people to really, really hard places. You think missionaries survive in places like that with a church that doesn't remember their name when they've been gone for three years? Listen, if you're going to go make it in places like that, you're going to have to have a church in the background that's willing to send support financially. You're going to have to have a church in the background that's ready to care for you emotionally because you're going to go through all sorts of horrible things. You've got to have a church that's ready to care for you and you come back to recover because you've been laboring in the field for four years. You know what else you need? You need a church that will pray, like for real, pray and beg the God of heaven to do a work that you can't do if you're over there. Church, are we that church? Listen, the call for us is not only how to deal with oppression, it's how are we going to send people? Are we going to be a church that can send people in a way that helps them stay on the field and thrive on the field and see the gospel advance in a way that breaks down systems of oppression that we never dreamed possible? That's, I think that's part of the call of this passage. So church, I'm going to guide us to a time of response. Would, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to walk through some of the calls of this passage. Listen, for some of you, uh, you hear this, and on the most basic level, the thing that's convicting for you is you feel God calling and saying, man, your work does not, um, it does not adorn the gospel. Listen, if you've not been a good employee or a good boss, we take a moment to ask Jesus to forgive you for that and ask him to help you have the strength to be a have the grace to work in a way and, and supervise in a way that adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for, for some of us, we read that and we skip over and, and what happened for some of us, is we just got triggered because of all this talk about slavery and racism and you never got past that first part of the sermon. Listen, have we been, become a people that have become hardened to the suffering of people? Have we allowed ourselves to get sucked into the talking points of news media outlets and harden our hearts? Listen, church, if you become hardened to suffering and hardened to injustice, would you ask God to forgive you of that and change your heart? is God calling anyone here to go to places that need to hear the gospel? Listen, if he's, if he's calling you today or you think he might be, we'd love to talk to you. But don't fight him. Just trust him and follow him. Versus the church, if he's calling people, are we going to send them well? Are we going to remember their names? We're going to care for them. We're going to support them financially. Listen, if you haven't been doing that and you've been forgetting the names, 
Would you just ask God to forgive and ask him to help? Ask him to help us as a church be a a mission-sending church to the hardest and most difficult places in the world. For some of you, the the call is not to repent. For some of you, you, you're just, you've been suffering. Whatever that is, it may not be as bad as slaves had. I, I don't want to minimize that, but you've been suffering. You've suffered injustice. You've suffered oppression. Or you've suffered, I, I don't know, anything. Would you ask God to help you figure out how to deal with that in a way that adorns the gospel? Ask him for grace to help. One last thing, I don't want to end our time together without sharing the good news of Jesus. Listen, what would make slaves be willing to endure that oppression in a way that showed joy and happiness and peace? What, what kind of news would be so good that it would change the way you, you suffered oppression? What kind of news is so good that it changed, changes a culture in a way that ends oppression? What, what news is that good? Listen, the the good news, the thing that was rocking these people was this, that all of us were slaves to sin. We're all owned by it. We're all oppressed by it. We're all ruined by it. And it's been a cruel master. And Jesus saw us wrapped up in sin and owned by sin and dominated by sin and wounded deeply by sin. And we did it to ourselves, but it still owned us. And he said, no, no, I'm, that's not what I'm going to do. I, so he sends his son to take the whip of the slave master of sin for us, to take the beating, to take the abuse. He bore all of our sin and all of our judgment. And he, the Bible says he redeemed us, that he bought us by his blood from the slave master of sin. Bible says he died on the cross for us to free us and he came back to life three days later and here's what he says if you'll place your trust in me and ask me to save you I'll free you from the slave master of sin and I'll adopt you into my family and I'll make you a full son and a full daughter with all the rights and privileges of the daughter of the king I'll clean you and I'll give you a new heart never more to be a slave of sin but to be my son or daughter listen that's good news you've never placed your trust in Jesus today, can I just call you? Would you trust in him? Would you ask him to save you? In a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. If you need to speak to a pastor, we'll be down front. We've also have rooms in the back. Uh, We have decision counselors back there. If you need to speak to someone about anything, They're trained and ready to talk to you. If you just need more time alone to do business with God, you can go in those rooms, knock, talk talk to anybody, spend as much time as you need to pray. We have two rooms in the back. You can go back there and, and take more time to do business with God if you need it. Let me pray for us in closing. Heavenly Father, God, we we admit that the weight of talking about oppression and slavery is is heavy. But God, I pray that we'd hear the good news of Jesus. God, I'm asking that you would make us a people that would care deeply about injustice. God, I'm praying that you would make us a people that would endure oppression and take the gospel to the darkest places, God, in a way that would adorn the gospel. 
God, I pray you'd make us a people that would defend those who are oppressed and help them get out from underneath it. God, I'm praying that the gospel would be powerful in our lives and that it would actually, that our lives would actually show the beauty and the goodness of this gospel. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen.